Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 126. I want to apologize right at the top. Uh, you may notice that there's a bit of a husk to my voice. I'm a bit under the weather, so I will occasionally have to uh, lean over and uh, cough. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Hopefully my voice is not super gross and uh, mucusy. Uh, right now it just seems more hoarse than anything else, But uh, so maybe you'll enjoy it. I don't know. Um, before we uh, bring in uh, our co-host and get into the topic, uh, I will say that uh, our premium episode in which we talk about Kevin Smith's dogma is still available. It will be basically uh, perpetually available. Uh, it is $2.50. The episode is about 90 minutes long. We're actually very proud of it uh, and would like people to hear it. Um, and the proceeds of it will go towards sending me to the International Christian Film Festival, where I will be talking with uh, fans of Christian film. And uh, it, who knows how it'll go. I, I think it'll be a very good, positive experience, um, but it will certainly be instructive one way or another. And so uh, I want to thank everybody who's already purchased the episode, which uh, over the last couple of weeks has actually been... Uh, uh, Enough that it has made a difference financially, which is nice. Um, <clears throat> and I think with that, we will move on. I will welcome in my co-host, Josh. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Not Besides bad. The, uh, yeah, I'm a little sick. Cold thing. All right. So you're not sick. Not so yet. I think. So I feel like you'll you'll lead the charge on this episode, okay. right? You just want to go to sleep. That's oh, fine. that sounds great. I should tell you that I tend to scream in my sleep oh, a lot. Because I have uh, spider dreams. Oh, I see. So, um, the screaming part is not true. The spider dream thing is true. <laughs> I do have a lot of spider dreams. Um, you know, this this is not at all the topic that uh, we were discussing, but uh, I was telling somebody about my bad dreams and how often I have them. And, uh, and this person said, have you ever, like, prayed over your dreams? Hmm. And I thought, huh, never, ever in my life once. Hmm. Uh, and he's like, oh, you should start doing that. And I haven't. I still haven't because it's just not a thing that occurs to me. Hmm. Uh, is that like a thing? That, have you ever done that? I don't know that I've done it, but I think I've heard of it. <clears throat> yeah, I guess. I mean, what choice do you really have when the time comes? Like, aside from trying to cultivate like a the ability to to lucid dream, mm -hmm. which I know some people can do, but it sounds like a lot of work. Um, yeah, I guess I just assume like, well, dreams are dreams. Can't really do anything about them. The end. Uh, and if you can, if there's nothing you can literally do anything about, then obviously prayer is the best way to do it. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, maybe that's a thing that I, that I should start doing and I won't have as many spider dreams or at least I'll be able to kill the spiders in the dreams. And then I'm, then I will have conquered all my personal issues. Hmm. Right? Totally, yes. Okay. That'll deal with all personal issues. Absolutely. The spiders are representative of um, my body issues. Sure, why not? Sure. Um, where's uh, where's one of those? Uh, I used to have a book on dream interpretation. Not really. But it's tough to, because then you just look it up by topic. Hmm. But then when's the last time somebody had a dream about one thing and then another thing? Like only one thing at a time. Hmm. Like, yeah. I had a dream the other night where I was standing at the top of my stairs and then at the bottom was uh, a little girl 
who was shrouded completely in shadow. So she was basically in, in silhouette. So you couldn't make out any features except for these burning red eyes and the fact that she was holding a giant knife and was walking up the stairs towards me and I couldn't move and I was just waiting for death, for death to happen. So that was a horrifying dream. But it's like, okay, so I feel like the stairs probably mean something. That means you're hungry, that dream. Okay. And I, you know what? I woke up and I was like, I could use a bowl of cereal. Um, and so, I like when dreams seem like really pretentious and then the, the interpretation is like, well, that one means there's uh you have money on the mind. And it's like, yeah, that's... <laughs> and that is the way they put, you've got money on the mind. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, but that's the thing. Like, I'm sure the stairs mean something. The fact that I can't move means something. The knife means something. The glowing eyes, the fact that it's a little girl and that you can't actually make out her features. Like that's a lot of stuff. How do you even start to look and, that up? And the fact that Kenny Loggins danger zone was playing in the background. <sighs> You're not taking my dream seriously. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was that song holding out for a hero. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Oh, you know what? I actually, now he didn't do that, but I was getting my Kenny Loggins soundtracks mixed up. <laughs> I was thinking Footloose and you were thinking of Top Gun. Yeah. In again, one, uh, holding out for a hero is not Kenny Loggins. Who is it? Man? I don't remember. Hmm? Uh, and that's, and you know what? I used to know and now I can't remember, but, uh, but yeah, you know what happens during that song in Footloose? Tractor fight. <laughs> Did you ever see Ooh, Footloose? No, I've never seen it. Oh, boy, yeah. It's, I mean, uh, Tractor Fight sounds pretty good. Well, it's basically they're playing a game of chicken with tractors. Oh. So I guess you could say a very slow game of chicken. Yeah, I was going to say, like, can that even can that even really be chicken? Because what's the worst that happens? Like, if the two tractors run into each other, they just stop, right? Oh, but they're on, like, a, I, they're not tractors, I'm sorry. They're, like, bulldozers. So they move a little bit faster. And even you've got then, this though, claw like, thing. They're not, like... They're on a ridge, so, like, one could fall off. So then, like, to go off and be the chicken is the more dangerous thing. To run directly into another bulldozer is just going to be like, all right, now we dented the fronts of our bulldozers, and now we can go home. Yeah. I oh, haven't no, seen this yeah, movie. But, this yeah, but our dads are going to be super mad. <laughs> no. Um, so, <laughs> so it's whether you're more scared to plunge to your death in a bulldozer or get your dads angry at you. Yeah. Well... I should say that their dads are horrible. They're okay. just monsters. Their basically. dads, every time they, they come back with like homework they didn't do well on, says, if this happens one more time, I'm going to throw you into a ravine in a bulldozer. And so like, oh, man, I can't win for losing. <laughs> um, okay, so sorry, everybody, about that. That's ridiculous. <clears throat> um, so, okay, today's topic, we are talking about Jonathan M. Gunn's Do You Believe?, uh, starring everybody, um, Mira Sorvino, everybody? well, a number of, uh, people, um, I'll mention some of the notables, Mira Sorvino, Sean Astin, Delroy Lindo, Ted McGinley, uh, Sybil Shepard, Lee Majors. Um, <clears throat> so this is a Christian film and it has not been doing God's not dead numbers, but it debuted at number six at the box office, which frankly, anytime a Christian film cracks the top 10, it's. I think it's considered a win. Yeah. Um, and it will continue, you know, and it will continue to be talked about in Christian circles. Like there always seems to be one big one distributed by pure flicks, uh, that has, that attracts, you know, I always feel bad saying stars because a good number of these people are sort of past their prime. 
Um, or at least they're not, they don't have the clout that they did. You know, yeah. Mira Sorvino has worked very consistently, uh, for the last 20 years. Uh, but it's not like she did this in 1996, right after she, after she won her Oscar. Yeah. You know, um, and then Sean Astin was in a number of things, but you know, he was Samwise Gamgee and, uh, Lord of the Rings and pretty amazing in that, but this, you know, but that was 12, years, 12 years ago at this point and he didn't do it right after that. So I feel bad insulting, uh, these people by saying that they're past their prime. Uh, I guess what I mean is that they're just, they're not as sought after, uh, as they, they're not at as the they used to of be. their popularity. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, so, uh, anytime there's a Christian film that attracts an, uh, a number of, of people that, that, that the public might at least know by name. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, I think that winds up being sort of the higher profile film and, uh, looking sort of down the line a little bit this year. Um, I think this might be the the highest profile Christian film, uh, of the year. So, uh, so I thought we would, we would talk about that. And also I do enjoy, um, l- looking at, potential progress made with certain things. Now this is not the same director as God's not dead, but it's the same writers and the same studio. And it's directed with a lot of the same sensibility. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, so I thought it might be interesting, not unlike with fireproof and courageous, I thought it might be interesting to see whatever improvements might've been made and that sort of thing. So, uh, the long and short of it, as far as the story is, uh, like, uh, like God's Not Dead, but also like movies like Crash and uh, Nashville or Shortcuts, which will be our companion film, or Magnolia, uh, just a city full of people that don't know each other but are still kind of connected uh, either through mutual acquaintances or, uh, you know, shared interests or whatever. Um, a film just follows their individual stories and then eventually ties them all together. Uh, but they're also tied together uh, in the overall theme mm-hmm. of the film. And so it's one of those. And so it takes place in Chicago and there's a number and there's just a, a bunch of different stories. And the theme seems to be this idea that if you're going to be a Christian, then uh, that needs to, there, there needs to be, you know, fruit. It needs to bear fruit. Right. Uh, and your, your belief life. needs to be manifested in action. Right. Um, and that is always a, a, an interesting thing to explore, whether it be in a sermon or in a film or something like that, because people are very quick to say, yes, but you don't earn your way to heaven. You right. know, it's not about works. It's not about deeds, uh, which is true, but it's, it's this weird thing that if you have faith and you recognize that God loves people and that Christ died for them, then, and died for you, then there is sort of this, for lack of a better term, pay it forward mentality, which is, mm-hmm. wow, I've been so blessed. I should bless other people in, in a similar way or as much as I can. Um, and if you're not doing that, if it's not driving you to action, then do you believe this in the first place? Right. You know, and it's a, it's a tough thing. It's, it's like so many other, uh, aspects of, of faith. Uh, it is something of a, of a tightrope that you walk. Because if you start to think, well, obviously I'm a Christian, look at all the good things I'm doing, but you don't actually seek out any kind of personal relationship with Christ, well, then that might not be, it's very easy to do that, by the way. Um, then 
you know, I, I'm not sure if I'd say you're not a Christian, but you might be focusing too much on the wrong thing. But if you're also saying like, ah, God's taking care of me, I'm forgiven. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll keep doing everything that I was doing before. Then one could say, well, this doesn't seem to be remarkably transformative in your life. Yeah. Uh, and of course we'll all have, we'll all have days where we opt to do the wrong thing or do nothing. And so the film is about that. It's a, it's, I think it's a very much, I'll say this. Um, it's a theme that's very much for Christians. Um, yeah. Regardless of what people might say, and I, I feel like I don't hear people saying this so much anymore, um, that, oh, this is a film I could take my non-Christian friends to. I don't think people said that, that about God's Not Dead. I don't think they said it about this. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like they haven't said that, and there hasn't been the emphasis on that since like the, the Left Behind movies or the, the big uh, uh, Revelation End Times movies, which tried to be which tried to emulate action film, uh, sci-fi action movies of the nineties. Mm-hmm. And as a result, there seemed to be an emphasis like, look at this nice, fun action genre piece. You can bring your friends to that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, even if fireproof was like this great movie, I don't know if anybody would ever think in terms of, I can bring my friends to this. Yeah. Cause it's not that type of movie anyway. Um, but, and, and I actually kind of, <clears throat> I kind of appreciate when, a film studio or a director or writers recognize the audience that they're going for. And rather than try to just be for everybody, they instead try to be specific. And I tend to like specificity from a thematic standpoint. And so they certainly, so, uh, God's not dead. And now do you believe are definitely for a Christian audience? I think, um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Maybe I'm being blind and just thinking like, well, surely no non-Christian would like it. So here, it has to be for a Christian audience, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I totally agree. I think I think there is a part of them that the part of the producers, at least, that feels like they want to get non-Christians in here to get a Christian message. I think it's less the case with Do You Believe? Because Do You Believe seems to be specifically speaking to, um, uh, to Christians about this this idea of yeah. their their faith having some kind of action behind it or some kind of works to show that it's real um and that is not something obviously that would that would appeal or have anything to say even to non-christians um but i think there's still you know there's still enough characters who are atheists who kind of come around a little bit or have some kind of change of heart even if it's not a conversion mm-hmm. um so I don't know. I think there's still part of them that wants people to see that. And I felt like that was more the case with God's Not Dead. Um, whereas I think the main thrust was apologetics and this kid and as a student being able to, uh, being able to, to, uh, debate his atheist professor. Yeah. But I feel like there's also a lot of people who are, uh, not necessarily Christians who are re- seeing or receiving in some way the message and starting to think maybe there's more to this. And I think part of that is aimed at non-Christians. I think part of that is encouraging Christians to be the agents for change in those non-Christians' lives yeah. because, you know, the examples – when they present an example to say – look, here's what can happen if you're in someone's life and if you tell them these things and they, you know, it could change the way they think. Um, so I think part of that is for Christians, but I think part of it also is, is for non-Christians. I think they're hoping that, um, 
non-Christians will see this and maybe think a little bit differently. Yeah. And, and that is probably true. I mean, obviously I, I feel like, uh, any Christian studio would want non-Christians to see it. Uh, and maybe it's just my own cynicism and my own sense of resignation that <clears throat> I look at movies like this thinking, well, no Christian, no non-Christian would like this. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And no non-Christian would respond to it. And so because I just take that as such a given, I just assume that, well, surely the studio wouldn't think that. Um, and so, yeah, I might uh, take it as too much of a given. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but I do think that the, that, that this, that this message, uh, is definitely one that, that is, I think geared at least more towards Christians. Like it is a very, in the same way that like fireproof, I think is, is geared very much towards married couples. Courageous is geared towards fathers. Um, and so I do, I like that kind of specificity. So, because, you know, what it says is like, Hey, we're going to, we're limiting our audience and we're willing to do that because, you know, we're committed, we're so committed to this idea or the story we're telling that we're willing to alienate people, uh, not alienate, but we're willing to, to specify, uh, or limit our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, now of course <clears throat> that doesn't mean that it's pulled off well, but mm-hmm. I at least appreciate the instinct. Um, so, uh, so that's the basic idea of, do you believe, um, <coughs> I'm sorry. It's uh, I'm getting really I'm getting really flimmy. I apologize. Um, might have to go through and cut out some of those coughs. Um, so I guess in talking about the film, we can talk about. We'll, we'll lead with the positives. And what I'll say is, if I were to give this film a letter grade, which I know is not a thing that we do, um, I would probably go depending on how I'm feeling that day. I would probably go D plus. Or C minus, if I'm feeling particularly, gen- it feels somehow wrong to give this movie anything like a C. Because mm. I was telling, I forget who I was saying that was like a D plus C minus. Oh, I might have been saying it on the BP Movie Journal, and uh, and David said that's a real fine line there. And I said <laughs> it is, and yet somehow, like if you say something is a D, even if you add a plus, it doesn't mean much. <laughs> but if you say something is a C, even if you add a minus, people. M- might think, oh, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Especially if you're <laughs> expecting it to be terrible. Right. And so a C- minus for a movie that people expect to be terrible might sound like a ringing endorsement, which is not this. Yeah. But I do want to at least acknowledge how these movies are getting better. Yeah. And I think, I think you and I talked a little bit about this, but I feel like it's getting a... Uh, I feel like it's not getting maybe a fair enough shake from other critics. Like it's got a, like a 22 meta score rating on IMDb and it's yeah. got like a 19 on Rotten Tomatoes. So those are really low numbers. Yeah. And admittedly not like as low as some, you know, mainstream films, well, which, you know, some come in at like, like 10% or something like that. Yeah. What, uh, do you remember what God's not dead was at? It kind of, I don't, I feel like it was higher than that. Uh, probably, but, Maybe just because I think it got a, a, a wider release. Maybe more just people more, saw it. And more Christians saw it, more Christians yeah. knew about it. But, um, sorry, I'm pulling, I'm pulling up Rotten Tomatoes right now. But, um, yeah. but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it's hard to say, like, it's not really getting a fair shake, even though it's still, 
like you and I are both Christians, which is the intended audience, and we didn't really like it. Right. So I would assume most critics are non-Christians, and so I'm sure for them they thought, well, there's absolutely nothing here for me. But <clears throat> to me, I think the stuff that does stand out, the stuff that is effective, I feel like would be effective no matter who you yeah, are. I agree. Like, uh, I guess we could go into some of that. I know something that we both agreed on was that the acting all around is is pretty good. Um, <laughs> there's a few there's a few performances I don't really like. Um, but for the most part, I think everyone's doing a lot of really good work. I think I, I really like Mir Sorvino's performance. Yeah. Um, Del Rolindo is in it for a short period of time, but I like him when he's there. He's such a dependable actor. I, yeah. He was, he was big in like the, the mid to late nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, not big, but he was a much higher profile. He was great in like get shorty. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, uh, I'm not a big fan of the cider house rules, but he's wonderful in it. Um, and then he was in a David Mamet film called heist and he pulls off mammoth speak really, really well. Yeah. Um, and he's just a, an actor that I feel like should get more work in general. And yeah, he's only in one scene, but he's great. He yeah. It's a lot of depth to it. Yeah, he does. And what I like about Mira Sorvino is that her character seems so, this is going to sound okay. So her character is a single mother and she and her, she and her daughter are homeless. Now they mm-hmm. sleep in shelters or in their car. So they're never really on the street. Mm-hmm. But, um, so when you're in a situation like that, the tendency could be, and I think the character's actually written fairly well. They don't write her as too much of uh, a, a representative of the entire homeless population. And she yeah. certainly doesn't play her that way. Mm-hmm. She plays her as just a regular woman, deeply aware of how she might be failing her daughter or at least in her own mind. Um, and she plays it just like a regular person. She doesn't overemphasize like self pity or anything no, like she that. Doesn't. And she's not trying to like, uh, you don't get the feeling that she's, she's trying to like get something with the character. You know, she's, uh, she's somebody who's honestly in this position, doesn't want to be there and kind of, uh, I, I like that she's playing, a little bit of the note of feeling uh feeling uncomfortable about getting pity from other people right because that's i think that's a hard that's a hard emotion to play and it's, it has to be very subtle yeah. and it's something that can't be on the surface and I, I like the way she's doing that and there's a little moment that i like from a writing standpoint this is a film that i feel like is not written very well but i want to call out good writing choices where they are um and there's a part where she's in the process of accepting charity from somebody. And as that's happening, she's saying like, like just because we're just because we're in the situation, that doesn't mean I'm a bad mother. Like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's a bit of, of, you know, anytime you take charity, it does wound the pride a little bit. Yeah. And that is like this, uh, I think a very natural reaction, which is, like, yes, this person is giving me charity. Is it being mixed with judgment? Mm-hmm. Because if it is, I probably won't take it. Um, and just, and she's also re- clearly reassuring herself in that moment. There's a lot going on, uh, in her performance and I like it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I wish that I wish her daughter wasn't written as such an adorable moppet. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I go back and forth on the kid cause it's like she, I feel like she has a very natural positive energy. She to does. Her. Yes. 
which I thought was good, but at the same time, it's it almost yeah, is she's almost too cute if that makes any sense. Yeah, like she doesn't say her R's or yeah. L's, you know. So she's like my Godian angel, yeah. which admittedly <laughs> sounds a little British, but um, but just like that sort of thing where it's like okay, that's a positive energy and a naturalistic positive energy is a yeah. good thing. But when you add that kind of stuff where it's, she's just almost too cutesy. That's, I think when you actually do start to get into a character, that's more a representation of, of innocence. Yeah. Of than than a real character. Um, <clears throat> Which, but, it's, it's hard to write children as real characters, uh, boy, but <coughs> you know, yeah. And, and no matter maybe, whether it's the blind side or s- something like, um, like 500 days of summer or something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it feels like there's very few that have been done well. Cause you need that combination of the character being written as a real character and yeah. interesting and an actor that can play it. And so one of the ones I, the one I always go back to is to kill a mockingbird. Cause I love that yeah. the performance of scout. That's, that's the perfect combination of those two is that, and part of that is because it's from the book, which is written from personal experience. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Tatum O'Neill in uh, paper moon. That's one I need to see. And I never have, I always heard that's a good, that's a great performance. She, uh, won supporting actress mm-hmm. for it. Uh, maybe the youngest winner of supporting actress or maybe uh, of anything. It's either that or Anna Paquin for the, the piano. Yeah. They might be, it might like, be the same, the same age. age, but, uh, yeah, it's it, very young. Um, and what I think the key is, is that when you're certainly when you're writing kids of a certain age, like let's say eight or nine, the thing about kids is they're trying to be older, right. they're trying to seem like adults. Yeah. So they will say things like I was. Th- I was reflecting back on uh, earlier today. Oddly enough, I was reflecting back on on me as a as an eight or nine year old, and I have no doubt that I was insufferable because I so badly was trying to be an adult. So you you say things the way an adult would. But there's none of the experience behind it, nor is there any of the emotional heft behind it. Yeah. And so you just sound either overly precocious or, again, insufferable. Right. And so I feel like, um, you know, like a, a movie that I feel like gets teenagers really right is the film uh, Margaret, oh, where yeah. the aforementioned Anna Paquin yeah. um, plays a teenage girl who is very adult in certain ways, but still has the emotions of a teenager. Yeah. And, and she's able to play that. Um, that balance. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, uh, in writing a kid, it's too easy to go one way or the other, where you basically have a kid playing an adult or you have a kid just being completely a child. Yeah. Um, in a, or more specifically, our, our idea of a child. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, and, and the one that, uh, you see that first one all the time in like sitcom TV. Like I feel like oh, most yeah. sitcom TV kids are just adults and we're laughing because they're, children who are acting like adults yeah and so as it's if like that's, we're, we're an adult like, with a higher voice that's fun <laughs> it's like we're acting like that's a new thing like they haven't been doing that since like the 60s or yeah. something um so uh a, a few other notable performances so we said delroy lindo mira sorvino um you know what i mean there's a lot there's there's a lot of good performances in here actually um there's a guy named Joseph Julian uh, Soria plays a character named Carlos, who's a, a, a young war veteran who's clearly dealing with some PTSD. I feel like they probably could have uh, developed that a little bit more, but I think he does a really good job with it. Yeah. Um, and who is the is Grace the no, girl Gra- that he ends with? I don't remember who's. Who. I I don't remember. It might be Maggie. I don't remember her name, unfortunately. Huh. Um, 
but, uh, but yeah. And then there's a, there's a, a woman who, um, with a movie like this, it's always hard to pick up on people's names. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, especially when the names are kind of generic. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's a girl in the, in the film that is kind of, uh, that is literally suicidal and mm-hmm. she and, uh, and the war vet sort of get together um, and find kindred that they're kindred spirits and her performance is really good. Again, there's a lot of really good naturalistic performances in the film, which Christian film tends not to be known for its naturalistic performances. They're either yeah. stilted or they're way over the top. Yeah. Um, and then I myself was much to my surprise, a, a, a fan of Brian Bosworth's performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't like him as much as I did, but I thought he was very solid. He plays a guy named Joe, who Brian Bosworth, by the way, is a former uh, football player Mm. who moved into acting when he uh, like screwed up his knee and just at it just was, you know, in the eight in the late eighties and and the nineties, he would play, you know, the uh, a henchman or something (laughs) like that, or just, you know, the the lead in a cheap action movie or something like that. Yeah. Uh, One thing he's a very large man. Right. And one thing you were saying about him is that he does, he's very well cast because he actually looks like he's supposed to be in the film. Someone who, uh, has been in jail, who's been in trouble. And as you find out further on in the film, he is only out of jail during the span of the movie because he's dying of leukemia. Yeah. Um, so he should be in jail now. Yeah. Um, and he looks like a hardened guy. He he really does, yeah. So um, that, I think that was a good that was a good choice with him. Yeah, like that that is clearly either the Mickey Rourke or Sylvester Stallone role. Just yeah. somebody with <laughs> that level of just hardness. Uh and obviously they couldn't get either of them. Uh so they cast him and <coughs> and I think he's well cast, but I also think he I think he uh rises to the challenge because there's a lot of sadness and regret in the character. Uh, and he manages to play that without overplaying it. I think, you know, hmm. um, where his eyes are just perpetually watery or something like that. Yeah. Um, there's just, a, there's a lot of quiet in the character and a lot of, this is going to sound strange and it might not even, I don't know if this is even a choice that he consciously made, but I feel like, uh, when you get people who have a very specific kind of past, um, or deal with certain issues, you find a lot of caution in the way they carry themselves. Like they need to be careful with how they interact with people and situations. Mm-hmm. And with him, you know, certainly whatever it is that caused him to go to prison, you never find out. Yeah. Um, whatever caused him to go to prison is something that I'm sure he regrets. And then while in prison, obviously you got to be perpetually aware because you never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think that has caused in him like a certain, uh, vigilance, both of the world and himself. Hmm. And I, I see some of that in his performance. Um, just a, a, a very watchful eye. Um, and again, maybe he meant to do that. Maybe he didn't, uh, maybe I'm reading into things, but I don't know. The, the character worked really well for me. Um, even though he is occasionally a little overwritten and he's maybe too much of an angel. Mm-hmm. Um, but which, which leads to, you know, if we're going to mention good writing where, where we find it, uh, you mentioned it already. I like the idea that it's not that he was in prison once 
and then got out. Yeah. I like the idea that the only reason he's out is because he's dying of, leuke- of leukemia. The yeah. idea that whatever he did, he should, for all intents and purposes, he should still be there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a nice, again, that's a nice little bit of specificity that wasn't necessary, but it adds to the character. Mm-hmm. And we, ne- again, we don't find out what he, what he did, but when you realize that according to the law, and a jury and a judge, he should still be in prison instead of talking to these people. Yeah. Um, it really, it, it helps to frame his character a little bit more. Um, uh, I think I might mention, I'll just mention a couple other uh, performances. So there's a, a musician named Schwazy, S H W A Y Z E plays a character named uh, pretty boy. Uh, you and I both thought he did a really good job. Yeah, I liked I, his performance a lot. Which he's not, he doesn't he's, play a musician in the movie. Right, yeah. He, he in, is in real life a musician. Yeah, I and guess. not an actor. Yeah. And he did really well. Yeah. Like, he's one of the more notable performances in the film. Yeah, I And for agree. being a non-actor, that's really something. Yeah, that's impressive. Um, I'm trying to think of any of these other uh, performances jumped out of me. Uh, Lee Majors... Uh, I would say he's fine. There's not a whole lot to the character, but I think he yeah. used some the character with some stuff. I, I didn't really love him and uh, his wife. It was Sybil Shepard played Shepherd. his wife, and I, I really wasn't crazy about either of those characters. They seemed a little. I'm not crazy with the characters, but well, I think, yeah. But I think he does stuff. I, you know, it's especially it, when you have a character who just speaks, who often speaks in platitudes, yeah. as his character does. Uh, you have to work really hard to make that into someone that you feel like could actually exist, and I think he does. And then maybe what it is is that I just don't really like the characters, and that's why I I don't think of much of the performances. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, and there are a few performances that I feel like are are a little uh, tenured. There's a a woman who's a, a lawyer, and she's kind of a villain type character. Her performance isn't that great. She's yeah. also not written remarkably well. Yeah. Um. But she was she basically any character in this that could be seen as a villain is not acted particularly well. No. And they're not given a lot to say or much. Uh, they're kind of written as very black hat villains. You know, yeah. they, they seem to, to only speak ill of the characters that we like <laughs> and they're almost too evil. Yeah. I, I was just looking it up here. The Lacey was the girl. Okay. Um, the, who was the uh, suicidal? Yes, yeah. and I liked her performance a lot. She she's from the Spy Kids movies. She's the girl from the Spy Kids movies. Oh, oh yeah. I don't <laughs> like when I saw Alexa because here she's she's uh, billed as Alexa uh, Penavega. Yeah. If it had simply said Alexa Vega, I would have said, "Oh right, from yeah. the Spy Kids movies." Yeah, and Machete Kills apparently. Absolutely. So. uh Big into the world of Robert Rodriguez. So yeah. it's only a matter of time before she wound up in Do You Believe? <laughs> um, with virtuoso um. filmmaker Jonathan Gunn. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. So there are a couple performances that that I don't love, but by and large, uh, certainly more so than God's Not Dead. Mm. Uh, the ensemble works really well. They work really well together. Um, and uh, And the acting was pretty, it was pretty solid all around. Um, and that is key because the problem with these films is always the writing Mm -hmm. and a well-cast film of good actors can actually take the writing from like D level to C level. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, 
you know, for example, one of my favorite actors, sorry, my favorite actor of all time is Robert Duvall. And he's been in some clunker movies, but he always manages to come out basically unscathed. Yeah, he's always Um, good. And his scenes always seem to be, it's like, wow, that scene seemed better written. Well, it isn't. He just does more with it. He can find whatever is in a film, uh, in a, in a character and, and bring that out. And so, for example, he was just nominated for the judge, which I haven't seen, but people talk about how the writing is really clunky and over the top and that sort of thing. And, but everyone says he's still really good and he managed to get an, an Oscar nomination yeah. out of it. So, um, <clears throat> so a couple other things. I do think that, uh, the filmmaking, uh, is, better than God's not dead. It's mm-hmm. a different director. So it stands to reason. This is a director who ha- who has more experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, not that more experience necessarily means you'll do a good job, but the yeah. film, I like the way it used darkness. There's some nice contrast and shadows. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, walk and talks down hallways and the care and the cameras moving along with people mm-hmm. it gives things a sense of urgency. Uh, and so I feel like, uh, the camera is a much more active thing in this film than you'll find in almost any Christian film. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and I will, and so, and then, but I think maybe the, the best part of the film, and it's not like an extend, it's, it's a key sequence. It's the climax of the film and it is treated as such and it is directed as such. There's a scene towards the end where there is a massive accident on a bridge Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it involves multiple cars, you know, with various of our characters uh, in them, and it's handled really well. I, yeah, I really like the way it's <coughs> it's directed. There's a real sense of urgency. You can you can tell what's going on, but it's not too distant. Um, yeah, some of the car crashes look yeah pretty bad. Which yeah, is I mean my where they should. Yeah, I mean there's one or two where my heart is legitimately pounding, even though I feel like I don't. I, I'm not super, whether the, even though the performances are good, I'm not super invested in these characters, but just the, just, you know, when a film is, when a scene, when a scene is directed well, it, it gets the emotion out of you, even if the rest of the film hasn't. Yeah. Um, and that scene, you know, there's one part that you and I both really responded to, whereas, you know, there's one car hitting another and into another, and then there's a car with the, uh, two older people and then a young girl in the back seat. And they managed to stop just short. Yeah. And you think, oh, okay. And my first thought was like, okay, so the accident is over. Yeah. They've stopped and now it's their <laughs> job to help. Yeah. And then it shoots them straight on, uh, the, the camera's straight on looking through the right windshield at, back through at the them. windshield yeah. right at them as they're assessing, like, is everybody okay? And then you just see a big truck just barreling down right, just coming right basically at you. Yeah. Like by putting the camera there, yeah. it's coming at you. And the little girl is center frame. Yeah. So like uh, as much as a little girl may be too precocious in the movie, like yeah, you don't want her to this. die. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And that moment's like, Oh my gosh, this is really yeah. this is rough. Cause I, I think I even had the thought like when they slowed down, cause I tend to do this now, which, which kind of ruins movies for me sometimes, but I like, I'm thinking about the outside circumstances. So I'll think things like, I think I thought, well, they're not going to hurt the kid because it's a Christian movie. Right. Like they'll never do that. But then when that happens, I think I went, Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause it looked, it looked pretty bad. And yeah, you know, and they don't kill the kid, but they don't, but, but, other, it, but, but she's other put characters. in serious danger. Yeah. They, they don't, they don't avoid like having the old people and the kid get into any serious yeah. danger and just let the, the, you know, 
the able-bodied citizens be the ones who are who yeah. are at risk. They they put them at real risk at the probably the biggest risk. And I think that's yeah. And I, I genuinely think I think it's smart. I genuinely thought the kid's gonna go free, and that older couple is not gonna make it. Mm. Like I I you know, and then when uh, the older woman when she makes it out, and then the guy reveals that his leg is broken. It's like all right. This guy's not going to make. So the the cynic in me would have said all three of them are going to make it. There there are lovable characters, and they won't kill them off. Mm. That'd be too hard edged. Which ultimately is what happened. But the sequence is handled so well that it, my cyn- I, my cynicism was uh, suspended. Yeah, and I think they played it well that the the one who has to go and help him is the guy with PTSD who specifically had dealt with leaving someone behind. Yeah. And the old guy wants him to leave him behind, and then he has kind of that chance to redeem himself. So it's... And I wonder, and that's the other thing, is as he's helping him, I thought, maybe the car will fall off the bridge with the veteran inside in, Yeah, you know. Um, and it, it's, it feels like maybe it could be a little too... Uh, too obvious or too easy that he he has the chance to decide again whether he's going to leave someone behind but sure i don't know i i I think it works i think i liked it yeah yeah uh it was a scene where i didn't actually know what was going to happen yeah yeah which is a rare thing when watching a christian film yeah um so yeah it's (laughs) although i did at the beginning of that scene uh i did have the thought that the last movie's or, sorry, God's Not Dead's climax was also somebody getting hit by a car in the rain. Yeah, but it's handled so much more clunkily. It, yes, it's it's totally different. And like, if you were may, you may recall that the climax of that scene was uh, of that film was character gets hit by a car in the rain. Somebody is sitting is standing you know uh, kneeling by him as he's dying, and then it's cutting between that and concert footage. Yeah, which is like a. a, a a complete total uh, tonal 180 whereas this unless yeah yeah and i've seen that sort of thing done before where it works but that's only if it's it's meant as a contrast where you're seeing like some characters are happy but that's because they don't know this other thing that's happening right which is not the case in god's not Not at all all. these people are celebrating for a reason that the movie would say they should be celebrating yeah and here at the same time this terrible thing is happening yeah a good example of that kind of contrast is at the end of the godfather yeah exactly where there's a, a baptism going on as people are being murdered right. and it's like oh my gosh how could such a thing you know it makes the people that are that are uh engaged in the good thing look quite callous yes incidentally and god's not dead they also look ra- rather callous yeah uh, but that was not the intention um whereas this you know when it eventually cuts away from the the big accident um, to Mira Sorvino sitting by Joe's uh, hospital bed. Uh, I thought, I remember thinking like, oh, okay, right. Yes, there are other characters that weren't involved in this, mm-hmm. but it will still affect them because it was Mira Sorvino's, Sorvino's daughter involved in the accident. And so, and what I like is like, we, when the accident happens, we are there the whole time. Yeah. Um, and we do not cut away until the danger is over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and it, I know it sounds like almost damning with faint praise because that's basic filmmaking that you don't cut away from the most interesting thing, unless it's something that's equally interesting or it's something that's maybe banal that can make the interesting thing more impactful. Mm. But you know, Jonathan wisely just 
keeps us in there with the tension, with the suspense, yeah, um, with and, the action, and and, and I it worked. It, it worked for me almost com- almost one hundred percent. Yeah, and I think it's it's not only that it's done correctly, but I think it's done well in that yeah. scene. So, um, okay, so that for me is basically all the positives, but that's not bad. How the film looks, how the film how it is acted and then a really, and then a climax that feels like a climax. Mm-hmm. That's obviously, you know, that doesn't add up to a great movie, but if I'm looking for little bits of progress made within Christian film, this isn't terrible. It, it near, it was not, it was not the forehead slapper that I thought it was going to be when I walked in. Yeah. Um, God's not dead. Like you and I, and certainly saving Christmas, you and I just the whole time, like this is, whoa, this is rough. And I did not, I got that far less in this film than I expected to. Yeah. 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 Me too. Like I didn't like saving Christmas was painful to watch. Yeah. This was not the case at all. Uh, That that was not the case at all for this film. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there were other things that we should talk about that we like, we, we touched on, the theme and how we agree. Like yeah. we think that's a good theme. Yeah. Uh, as far as action being connected to, to your faith. Um, it's a good theme, but how it deals with the theme actually will move, would move us into the parts that I don't like about the movie. Yeah. But I don't want to go there yet. Yeah. Um, was there anything else you could think of? Um, I don't think so. I think we talked about, most of the stuff that I like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moments like story moments that I think I like. I, I don't really like the way they're written. And I think sometimes they play out too easily, but there's a scene where two characters are both contemplating suicide and they're both on the same bridge and suddenly realize that they're both there at the same time. Yeah. Contemplating the same thing. And that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and the fact that that kind of like they draw each other away from that. Yeah. Um, and, and moments like that without, either of them calling too much attention to it that moments like that it's it's tough to show god's hand in things in yeah. a movie yeah. without it being super obvious yeah without it just looking like what the like oh look at what the writer's doing yeah uh but that was a nice moment yeah, yeah. and and i think they're and it's done almost totally visually like we yes. see him and we and the background is out of focus and then, and then we realize that she's there as well yeah, yeah. um yeah uh, I, th- I think I liked, I'm trying to think if there are any other specific moments that I thought, at least the concept was, cause then what that goes into is I, I think some of the, their dialogue is not that great and they do draw a little bit too much attention to it later right. on in the film. Um, but, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the others. I don't know. Um, I thought there were some good moments with uh, with the the two guys who were the criminals. Yeah, um, I think some of their conflict is okay, uh, is good, and, and I I think I like what the ant character represents to them. Although yeah. I, I don't love the scenes with her, right? But um, I think the, the whole idea that. There's, here's these criminals who have an aunt who is, is more of a respectable person, probably religious. She, yeah. she makes it sound like she is. Yeah. And they've kind of been living with that influence, but it hasn't really affected them. Yeah. Um, that's something it that might have been interesting to go a little bit deeper into. Well, and you know what? They actually do have a nice moment. It's just a line, but I liked it a lot. Because, again, it's that specificity where 
so there's these two criminals, they're brothers, uh, and they commit a crime. Wait, and by the way, the crime involves driving a van into a house, which they actually do. Yeah, that's another good. It's uh, a nice moment. Action moment. I, I think. I feel like I would have. I would have liked to see that action sequence play out a little bit more. Yeah. It, it's probably not necessary in the film, and as it is, there's a lot going on. So maybe it's wiser to to not yeah. really go into it. But I see seeing as well as I feel like that final action sequence is directed it might be nice to have seen more of that in something yeah, like yeah like that right. um but then you actually see violence and people being shot and that would have taken it to a pg-13 mm-hmm. or, or certainly probably not an r rating but um and that might scare off some of the audience but uh and also by keeping it like because the character who's con- most conflicted is the one in the getaway car and the mm-hmm. one waiting for stragglers so that he can shoot them. Yeah. Uh, and he's, so he's just witnessing all this from afar, uh, trying to figure out like, okay, if this comes to me, what do I do? So, you know, by it puts it in, puts us very much with him, which I think is a neat idea. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so these brothers commit this crime, they get a big bag full of money. Um, and then one brother, uh, becomes a Christian basically. And he's the one who knows where the money is. And he decides he's going to take it to the church Mm -hmm. and, uh, some acquaintances see him walking out of the church and they tell the other brother. And he has a really nice moment where he talks about it's okay. Almost any time in a movie when one character becomes a Christian and the other one doesn't, the one who doesn't has problems with like, it's like, Oh, you're going to save my soul now or something like that. With this, his his objection is a practical one first and foremost because he tells the story. It's like, yeah, I remember my aunt became a Christian, and do you know uh, she watched like this preacher on TV, and you know what the first thing she did was she sent that man every penny she had, mm-hmm. and it's this, and it's very like, and so his yeah. concern is again the money first. Yeah. It taps into a practical thing and a resentment, yeah, against the church that yeah. that he feels, which is an interesting thing to deal with. Yeah, it's yeah, and yeah. It, again, like, while I think the writing is by far the the weakest part of the film, little moments like that, like if, if they just tap into more of that. Mm-hmm. And just make a whole movie of that. Yeah. We're in pretty good shape. Yeah. I, I also liked the, it, it feels like the other brother, mm. that's pretty boy. It's the one yeah. that's played by Shwayze. We were talking about earlier. Um, he has a, uh, his kind of conversion is maybe split up over a little bit of time, which yeah. probably is, is interesting anyway, but, uh, yeah, it's a process more than a, a definitive choice. Right. And, but I like his first moment when he's in the church. It's not as if like he comes into the church and he hears what the pastor's saying and suddenly like a light shines on him or anything. Right. It's like he, he is actually having a, uh, a practical, tangible threat to him right now. <coughs> And he's praying because of that. And it feels more realistic. It feels like more. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It has more the feel of somebody who has, has, uh, has lost everything, you know? Right. Which, which, uh, and in the moment, cause it's right after the crime. Yeah. And it's he and his brother and then two other guys and the other guys didn't make it they, out. And yeah, his brother dead. doesn't care. Right. And so it's that moment of like, Oh, there are, there are consequences to this. And by the way, like what happens if I get shot? Yeah. Will anybody care? And that sometimes Christian films tend to manufacture that sort of uh, yeah. scenario for someone. And it doesn't feel like they naturally got there, but this one, he feels like he naturally got there. So I like 
his kind of fevered praying yeah like he's maybe never prayed before yeah yeah it's uh or maybe like something like maybe trying to remember when he was a kid watching his aunt pray yeah. or something like that yeah there's a real yeah his performance is really good yeah like he, he really has to uh have some extremes without them seeming overly extreme yeah um so yeah i mean we just said you know we're at 50 minutes that's how much time we spent on positive mm-hmm. um you know back when i was talking about fireproof or even when we were talking about courageous i mean we gave as much of a fair shake as we could to courageous and try to be as positive as we could but i don't think we talked nearly this long about it mm-hmm. and so now we will move into the negative and there is there's plenty of that but i actually don't want to harp on it that much partially because it's the same negative that there that it always is mm-hmm. which is first and foremost the writing mm-hmm. um we've brought up good choices that the writers made specificity is the is seems to be the name of the game for me when it comes to what good writing is especially mm-hmm. when it comes to characters and choices and motivations um but when you look at the overall, that's where do you believe is a problem? Um, yeah. Whether it be the, the 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 clunky way they deal with the theme, or at least introduce the theme and then don't really do much with it, um, mm-hmm. or just you know the way they inter- introduce the idea of miracles, uh, the way they write people that don't believe, uh, yeah. it just that's the stuff that takes you very much out of the reality that is created by the specificity in other characters. Right. <coughs> so, um, can you think of any specific, uh, you know, again, we don't want to point out every single issue, right? But can you think of some specific, uh, problems that you have with the writing that might be sort of might stand in for, for larger issues? Mm. Um, I mean, we already talked about the, how the, quote unquote atheist characters are not very well written. Um, we didn't really touch much on Sean Astin's performance cause I, yeah. we were both feeling like he really isn't given very much to do. He, he's really yeah. just kind of a snidely whiplash of a character and he's not even, he's not even that evil in his actual actions, Yeah, but he seems like he's just there to stand in as the, the rich person who's super callous towards Christianity. And that's all he yeah. kind of ever is. I mean, they do introduce the idea of a God complex and, and, yeah. more, but, but they even say God complex, which I right. guess is, is a thing that doctors can sometimes deal with. But I like when he's saying stuff like, he's like, I'm the one that saves these people, but nobody ever thanks me. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, that's a genuine thing that a person might say. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they immediately go into, it's like, you've got a God complex. And right. It's, like, it's kind of, it's kind of treated as like a throwaway line rather yeah. than. Uh, a, than a character beat, right? Rather than a center for this character, which would yeah. be much more interesting. Um, so there's that. Uh, the um, you know, we we talked a little bit about the uh, JD and I forget the wife's name, Terry, Terry, JD and Terry, um, who I, I feel like they're they're not given a whole lot. They're they're given a daughter who passed away. Yeah, but I and think I, the second scene we see them, he's saying something like, "We need to stop." Mourning yeah. her, and then they kind of move yeah. on. Which I, which again, like I think that is a good. That's that's a lot to hang your hat on from a character standpoint. Yeah, the idea that we are living in the past, we've created a shrine to our daughter mm-hmm. as though our life is over. Yeah, it is not. Mm-hmm. 
we are still expected as Christians to do the right thing for other people. Just because we experience this loss doesn't excuse us from doing good for other people right. and for our, and for each other. Yeah. Um, that's a really good thing to, to delve into if you give it the time. Right. Which, which they, they don't, don't, they don't do it. The first time that we see anything like in their house, the first time we see anything about them to suggest <laughs> that they're having trouble letting her go is the scene where JD is saying it's time to let her go. Yeah. So we don't, we don't ever actually get to see how they really are mourning this. And you know, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's something that was in the movie initially and had to get cut for time. Maybe. Um, uh, which if so, eh, who knows? I don't know how I feel about that. And also, but, I mean, that can kind of be a whole movie in and of itself. Like, oh yeah. You can totally. show these older people like, Maybe they visit their daughter's grave the same mm-hmm. time every week, yeah. and then something else comes along, and they're very reluctant to let this new thing into their lives. Yeah. A- anybody who's experienced grief knows what that's like. Yeah, um, and there are lots of movies where, like, where that is the movie. Yeah, and uh, and so I feel like when you see just how much potential there can be in that subplot, mm-hmm. um, and you see what they do with it, mm-hmm. you know, it just feels like. It feels like a, a plot convenience because like, oh, we need yeah. to allow, um, you know, we, we need, uh, if this relationship is going to form, we're going to need it to have more weight than it would already. Oh, I got it. Yeah. Dead daughter. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, same with the pastor and his wife who can't have kids. Right. And then they take in this pregnant girl. And I think the pregnant girl, I was going to just bring her up. She's kind of the same thing. It's like, it's like there's a built in conflict there and it, it feels like the writers have decided that's enough. We know nothing about that girl. Right. She, she's pregnant. He goes to help her one day because she was digging through a trash can, a dumpster in an alley. And she takes the, the, uh, the charity she allows him that he, he gives her a place to stay for a while. Then he she ends up coming to stay at their house for seemingly not that long, right. and then decides she's going to give their baby her baby to them at the end. Yeah, which I, I feel, felt disingenuous to me when we've seen so little actual connection between her and these people. Well, and it's and the way like the way they write that scene it really underlines that, Oh, this pastor and his wife can't have a baby. Uh, and that's a sad thing. Yeah. And then this girl comes into their life. She's going to die. And then as she's dying, she's like, you know, I don't remember the exact line, but it's something she says like, you wanted to be there when your baby was born. Yeah. I think you just, I think were. you just were. And so it's like, I'm dying, but you can, now you have this baby to raise. She's kind of a non person. Who's just the delivery method for their baby. Yeah. Which is it seems a little callous, yeah, uh, on the part of the writers. It does make God look like, oh, this this poor Latino girl mm-hmm. is really just I I put her in this horrible circumstance so that this nice, well-to-do Middle white couple white family, yeah. uh, can have the baby that they that I didn't give them. Yeah, um, it it looks a little rough. Yeah, on that note too, and I think we're we probably we've probably covered enough of like characters that don't really work. Um, but on that note, note, we talked a little bit before about how we feel like the movie approaches. Uh, well, there aren't, there aren't really any, sorry, there are very few positive black characters in the film. The three that we remember the most are either homeless or criminals. Yes. Um, so there's, there's, there's the ant, Right. Who is, I'd say, a fourth tier character. Yeah, she she doesn't have a lot yeah. to do. 
and then we see that there are are uh, that there is a mixed congregation at right. Ted McGinley's church. But those are not characters in the movie, really. Right. And Del Rolindo is a positive character. He's yes. he's like uh, he's the inciting incident yeah. for a lot of the uh, the things that make the pastor have to think. Um, so he's a good guy, but he's still but even kind so, of a crazy homeless guy. Yeah, and you could also say he fits a certain Hollywood idea of yes. the magical black magical man. black man exactly. Yeah. Um, which for the for listeners that might not know that term, uh, the Green Mile. Legend of Bagger Vance. Uh, it happens a lot, which is, mm-hmm. oh, white people need to be taught a mess, uh, a lesson. Uh, here's a black man who seems to know a lot more than we do. And usually he's from, uh, he's, he's, uh, from a, a lower, he has a lower status. Yeah. But that doesn't keep him from knowing what we have forgotten. It's very similar to the noble savage idea. Yeah. And it's, um, it's, condescending it's patronizing it's yeah. you know and even when you've got delroy lindo doing great work with it it's yeah it's yeah. a little rough i had the same thought kind of when we were talking about uh mira sorvino's character where i wonder if it's a weakness of the film in creating the this homeless character that people need to come in or to, to take in by making her kind of the most safe homeless person you can imagine. Right. She's a nice white lady with a daughter. Right. Uh, she's a victim of her circumstances it's because her husband either, I think her husband passed away. She's a widow. I think or he did she leave them. Okay. I don't remember. Exactly. Either way, she, she doesn't have her husband anymore through no fault of her own. <coughs> um, yeah. Uh, She's just trying to get back on her feet. She's yeah. clean. Like there, are, yeah. she's all. Meanwhile, the, if Joe were a homeless guy, yeah. and they were challenged to bring him in again, a guy who's a linebacker essentially, and is pretty weather beaten, and looks like, oh, if this guy wants to kill you, he will <laughs> and can. Yeah, yeah, that would be a much more. So that's one of those things you can't say necessarily. It's a weakness. But yeah. it does make the character a little bit easier than yeah. it could be. And that's not to say anything bad about her performance. Like we said, I, she's maybe the best performance in the film. I think she's doing some great work. Yeah. Um, uh, and I like a lot of what happens with her, but I feel like it could be more interesting if she is more of a challenge to take in. Like, I yeah. feel like I would take a character like that in and I don't have any, <laughs> we, we have a one bedroom apartment, but it's like yeah. a little girl and her kid who were sleeping in their car. Like it, it, you know what? That leads me to one of my other problems okay. with the movie. Um, if you're okay with me, go right ahead. Segging, uh, segueing into the other one. Uh, I feel like there's, I feel like there's too much sentimentality in the film. Yeah, which I feel is like it's standard for this kind of thing, right? I feel like it's trying too much to tug at your heartstrings enough so that it's doing it in almost every scene, and I think that keeps uh, bigger scenes like the climax that we like so much from having as much. <laughs> Uh, of an emotional landing as they could. Yeah. Um, so like the whole thing with Mary Savina and her kid, like that, that's pulling at your heartstrings every time she's sleeping in her car, when she tells the story about why she doesn't have a job anymore. When like you see that the little girl is sick and like people have to help her cause she's sick. When, uh, you know, the old couple, bring her in and and uh, you know they're they're saying in the sitting in the bed saying like oh i hope we can stay here forever or whatever whatever yeah. they're saying um oh and isn't there a part where she's where they're staying with the older couple and the and the little girl says like like can, like can i call them grandma and grandpa or something yeah like, like the first like night that? that they're there yeah yeah it's like Ugh. yeah 
like if I was one of the older people and I heard that, I'd be like, Oh geez, uh, it's a little fast attachment issue there. Um, but yeah. And so it's, and it's not just with those characters. There's a, you know, unwed, uh, mother pregnant, you know, pregnant, unmarried girl who, uh, digging through a dumpster. Yeah. Then you have like her having the conversation with the mom who can't have kids. Um, uh, you have Brian Bosler telling his, his story about how his family is, you know, he has no connection to his family after he went into prison. Yeah. As a, it's very and that teary scene. Yeah. And that could have, you could have had an opportunity there to explain what he did. And it could have been like a really horrible thing. Maybe yeah. something he did to his family. Yeah. You and I were joking afterwards that it turns out he <laughs> murdered his family, which would be like, okay, maybe that's a little too much in the other direction. Yeah. But like, maybe he was like just a horrible alcoholic yeah. who hit his wife yeah. and caused her to run away. And then he maybe got behind the wheel of a car or something like that. Yeah. And that's what landed him in jail. And so, Something that takes the sheen off just a little bit. Right. And makes everything a little bit less safe. Yeah. And there are so many, in the same way, there are so many of these scenes where people are talking overtly about Christianity and this, this cross that they're given. Many yeah. of the characters go to the same church. Um, and they're early in the film, the pastor, Ted McGinley's character, preaches a sermon where he places these little wooden crosses out in everyone's seat. Yeah. So many of the characters throughout the film have this cross that they, they use as a very obvious symbol, yeah. um, which I think is too much most of the time, but yeah, I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, they're, they're talking so much and so often in, in such, uh, certain terms about Christianity and the need for Christ and all those things that it, it's almost like it starts to become white noise. If that makes any sense. Yes. So it, if there was a hint of that and then suddenly there were these moments where it became crucial or, or where people suddenly realized how crucial it was, yeah, those moments would land with more power yeah. and they don't so much because we're just talking about it the whole time. It's just, we're under this wash of people saying you need Jesus, you need Jesus, believe in Jesus, uh, which obviously is something that we agree with. Yeah. But the, I don't know. I feel like they need to hold back a little bit at first to let the message of you need Jesus have more of an effect. Yeah, I think so too. And also the, the, (coughs) obviously I believe that there's a great deal of power in the gospel and that there's a lot of, it can be a very personal thing finding out that you are loved, but that is not. And while that may be at the core of almost everybody's problems in their life, feeling like they're not loved, feeling like they want to be a part of something, whatever that may be. That might be at the core, but not everybody knows it. And so to approach every single character the same way, as far as like, oh, if I tell them this, maybe they'll convert or something like that, uh, and not tailoring it to the specific people. Um, I feel like, you know, that, if you're a Christian watching this and you think like, yeah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to people and I'm just going to say the same thing to them over and over. You may be surprised when not everybody responds the exact same way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so, uh, at the beginning of the film, it quotes James two, uh, four, well, somewhere in here, I don't remember exactly. I'll, I'll read the whole passage here, which I think is very interesting. So James two verses 14 through 26. Um, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does 
not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Uh, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, your, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was compelled by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So uh, now that certainly goes towards the idea of uh, of works specifically. But one thing that I really like is the idea that if somebody says, hey, I'm hungry and you say, go, I wish you well, that to me is saying, I'm not listening to you. Mm. Uh, I don't care about what you specifically need. I only care about what I have to say. Mm -hmm. And by just taking the general gospel, and I'm not saying don't say the general gospel, but there might be a different way to present it based on what this person is dealing with. Maybe this person is dealing with a, a loss in their own life. Maybe this person is dealing with a great deal of personal shame. Who knows? The gospel has something to say to both of those people. But you might have to emphasize a different aspect of it as a way of, and it sounds manipulative saying it, but like, like if in if in any other situation, if you were talking to somebody and trying to provide comfort, you would tailor what you had to say to what they were dealing with. And I feel like this is a film that doesn't do that. That's the thing that bothers me about a lot of these Christian films is that I feel like they don't actually equip Christians to go out and deal with the world. Yeah, It's the same that we said about God's Not Dead where there's some apologetics in there, probably a grand total of like six minutes. Yeah. And the film seems to feel like that's enough mm -hmm. for you to go out and actually have a debate with somebody based on the six minutes that you watched in this film. Mm -hmm. And it just isn't. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying now, don't get me wrong. I'm not sure if the film should spend all its time showing, okay, here's how you deal with someone in this situation. Here's how you deal with someone in this situation. I don't know if it should do that, but if you're going to show, how the gospel affects these people in very different situations, then I think you need to show that it at least is worth acknowledging that people will, will respond to different aspects of the gospel based on their current circumstances. Yeah. And so, and that goes to, that goes to, uh, you know, kind of the impetus of what gets everything going in the film, which is the pastor talks to this, uh, uh homeless guy, who says, do you believe in Jesus? And he says, well, I'm a pastor. And then the guy says, you haven't answered my question. Yeah. It's an exchange I actually really like. I, I enjoy that sort of thing. Um, and then it gets him thinking about, you know, well, do I actually believe? And if so, does my life indicate that I believe? Now, that means a lot more if we see that the pastor is maybe a little stagnant in his ministry, but we don't know anything about him. 
he seems like a pretty good guy anyway. Yeah. And, uh, but he seems like deeply convicted, but I don't know why he's convicted. Right. Like it doesn't, it's supposed to be a change to us that he decides right. to help that girl, but we don't know that. Yeah. Where if, you know, if you show a guy who's just going through the motions at his church, he doesn't care much about the congregation. They don't care much about him. He's basically, you know, he's Tim Lovejoy from the Simpsons, you know? Uh, and then he runs across this thing. That's like, Hey, just cause you're a pastor doesn't necessarily mean that you believe this thing. Um, which actually goes a lot in the direction of like, you could be doing all this work, but that doesn't mean that you have this faith. You don't, that doesn't mean you have this relationship. Then the flip side is you can say you have this faith, but what effect is it having on your life? Yeah. So that's the idea of faith and works, both, uh, working in tandem. Uh, but anyway, uh, so then he goes and preaches this sermon and he has a big cross at the front and he puts red paint where the wounds of, of Jesus would be and that sort of thing. Um, and the sermon is generic and I can't imagine anybody feeling at all affected by it, hmm. uh, because it is the most standard thing. Uh, the one thing that he says that I like, it's just a nice little turn of phrase, which is, uh, the, Jesus sacrifice on the cross, it should first, uh, drop you to your knees, but then it should get you to your feet. The idea being that first you, you submit to him and thank him for what he's done for you. And then you stand up and you get to work. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. I like the phrasing of it, but then nothing else about the sermon. Yeah really emphasizes as a whole the sermon doesn't feel that strong and it's funny that later on in the film somebody even said i think terry might say to jd what because of a sermon now all of a sudden you want to do this or that yeah well what happens is uh so he brings in the uh the pregnant girl Uh and then his wife says she can't stay with us but we'll pay for a hotel Mm -hmm. and then he preaches, I think, I think he preaches that sermon and then his wife goes and gets the pregnant girl from the, ho- from the motel and says, you can stay with us. And then when he shows up and is surprised that this girl is there after his wife said no, um, his wife says, you can't preach a sermon like that and not expect some kind of results. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's even the time I'm thinking of, but that is, oh, okay. That that's is, the thing that she does say. I'm so, sorry. so there's maybe I, I don't remember the first part. It might be is, but there, if that's the case that I am thinking of a different one, then there's more than one time where someone references like the reason these changes are happening yeah. are because of this sermon. Yeah. And whenever people said that, I thought I was, Oh, surprised. sorry. You were talking about, I'm sorry. You were talking about Terry and JD. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're right. That's one where, oh, you hear one sermon, you make this big change. Yes. And then the pastor and his wife have that Yes. Too. So they both have the same yes. thing. So the, the suggestion is that this sermon has changed people's lives. But I remember yeah. the first time, I don't remember which one comes first, but whichever one came first, I thought, what does this have to do with the sermon? Yeah. <laughs> I, I almost didn't even see the connection. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> it felt like if, if the sermon is going to have that level of conviction in people's lives, like, I feel like the sermon, the, the sermon should have been hard hitting mm-hmm. and maybe even a little angry at the congregation and the pastor angry at himself, maybe even crying a little bit. Like it yeah. needs to have real power so that we ourselves walk away, not merely from the movie, but like walk away from that scene with those words ringing in our ears. And it'd like, be more- I remember the specifics of a lot of the sermons from the apostle. Yeah. And that came out in 97. Now yeah. I've seen it several times since then, but there's passion behind it. Right. And I feel like no offense to Ted McGinley. I think he does a I think he's perfectly doing a fine, fine job, job yeah. but 
it's again, it's so generic and it's like, and yes, they have the symbol of the cross, but there's none of the passion mm-hmm. in what he is saying. Like, and I'm not saying that there should be a scene of him shaming his congregation, but you know, I mean, a, a suggestion that this is kind of a hard pill for the congregation to swallow might be yeah, nice. Absolutely. Um, and so, so of course that's the, you know, that, that sermon is the cornerstone of the film, and I don't remember any of the specifics except that one line, which then the rest of the sermon does nothing to back up. Mm-hmm. But then the Christian films tend to do this other thing, and you already mentioned it. So he passes out these little wooden crosses mm. that people, you know, take with them and give to other people, and in a time of crisis, they will like pull out that cross and look at it yeah. as a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice for them. I feel like. At no point does it actually draw the draw the line from point A to point B of what this cross has to do with their specific situation. And that maybe I would feel that more if the sermon had had more of an impact. But also, it just bothers me so much that whether it be the love dare in Fireproof or it's the the declaration of God is dead that you have to sign your name to in God in the film God's Not Dead – um, or it's the little crosses, like all of these films seem to lack, uh, latch onto a very specific symbol mm. that the characters have to react to. Yeah. And I feel like a, that's really easy because, you know, you can have the character pull out this cross and then we know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. We know what they're thinking just by mm-hmm. virtue of them pulling out this thing. And I feel like it's, you know, and frankly, you know, we believe that God exists even though we don't see him. Um, and that faith is very difficult. Um, and while it's nice to have reminders here and there of that, the idea is that we have, we continue to believe even if there is no, uh, signifiers of him in a given, in a specific situation. And so for these films to so latch on to these symbols, uh, I wouldn't go so far as say it's idolatry, um, but it leans on them so much that it just feels somehow wrong to me. It feels a, maybe a little distrustful of the audience, mm-hmm. um, that we won't be able to put two and two together. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like, and also they tend to deal with the little crosses in a really ham fisted way. Yeah. There's a scene where, uh, <clears throat> where a paramedic is, is talking to a man that is dying and uh and he gives his cross to that man and uh then the man's wife shows up and like is crying at his side and then finds the cross in his hand and she takes it out and she's like what is this what is this like it's a cross lady obviously you know what it is um you know and it's just it it really underlines like that symbol and that sort mm-hmm. of thing so i feel like it's really ham-fisted i think it's it's I don't I can't think of any other type of movie that does this that has this one thing and le, not and like and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a MacGuffin like Mm-mm, no um it's that's a different, a different type thing. of thing it's yeah it's just a symbol it, I don't know it's this it's a prop that becomes a symbol it's kind of a stand-in it's like for a something totem. else yeah yeah that's um, a better word for it <clears throat> so it's just stuff like that that just will and as long as Christian films do it it will continue to be clunky and Mm -hmm. not feel organically right um 
So I'm trying to think. And then of course there are scenes, there are multiple conversion scenes and mm-hmm. I'm okay with a conversion scene, but I feel like you need to earn it. And I feel like this film doesn't earn it. Um, you know, I mentioned before the apostle, there are like three or four conversion scenes in that mm-hmm. and it feels earned every single time. Um, there's a scene. Okay. There is a scene of a miracle that happens where a character dies and then, and is dead for like eight minutes and then comes back to life and is feeling better than ever and all of that. And it's not treated the way it should be, Mm. you know, um, it's treated. Okay. I understand that as Christians, we are the concept of God intervening in life should not be a, a strange thing to us. Yeah. Um, I, that's a thing that I struggle with. I tend to be very cynical about it and feel like God doesn't do miracles anymore. Uh, even though I think he does, but in ways that maybe don't announce themselves as miracles immediately. You know, we read the Bible and we look at the parting of the Red Sea and we're like, what, what about that? That sounds pretty good. <laughs> um, but anyway, and so I feel like the, the, the writers and maybe even the actors, uh, they so understand, or at least the, the ones that, that believe in miracles and have to play characters that believe in miracles. Um, I feel like they sort of take it as, as a given that, Oh, this is a thing we believe. So this is really not out of the ordinary for us. Whereas if a character, if a person, if your father was in the hospital and died and you were mourning him and eight minutes later, he came back to life. No matter how much faith you have in God, you're going to be out of your mind. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As I would. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yet everybody deal, acts as though as though it's the most uh, commonplace thing. It's, and again, it seems like kind of a minor surprise to them. Right. Like, oh, what a what a fun turn of events. They're registering more happiness than it should be like fear and trembling, really. Yeah. And so that's one side of it. The other side of it is that the the non-Christians in the room simply say, well, miracles don't exist. Uh, the, those aren't real. Uh, or there's no such thing as miracles, I believe, is the, the specific phrase. Mm-hmm. And then that person then goes, just walks away and uh, doesn't deal with it. And it's like one way or the other, either positively or negatively, this event should affect these characters the way it would any of us. Mm. If you're a non-believer and you witness something like this, it shakes you to your core. If you're a believer and you see something like this, it shakes you to your core. Yeah. You have no choice one way or the other. And there's a film that like, oddly enough, like it seemed really ham fisted to have the miracle in there in the first place, but I feel like it would have gone down a lot smoother for me if they'd actually treated it like it was an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, as, as, as opposed to just, uh, Hey, things went our way. Yeah. Um, so script wise, I feel like that's, you know, it's just stuff like that, that, that all Christian films have. And while I like some of the specifics that they, that they incorporated that helped, make the the larger things go down a little bit better. It's still script issues. And then the other thing for me, and I can't even really put my finger on what they can do to make this better. But when you watch movies like crash, which you and I don't love, but even I acknowledge that the editing is really good um, or shortcuts or Magnolia. Anytime you have these ensemble films, uh, there has to be a propulsive quality where we're just moving from one to the other to one story to the other, to the other. 
and we're always interested in what's happening. It doesn't linger too long in any one story. Um, and it's just, and actually I'm currently watching twin peaks and that's one where, I mean, there's a ton of characters yeah. and when it goes from one to the other to the other, I just feel like, man, I know what everybody is up to all the time. This is a well put together show. So it's important for a movie with a large cast to touch base with what every character is doing, not lingering too long. And as much as I like a nice drawn out scene, um, <clears throat> I feel like the thing that gets me about this film is that again, I like the actors and as a result, I, I tend to respond favorably to the characters, but I, after a while I just didn't care. And I felt like it was just kind of meandering and just kind of sauntering along. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I got a little bored and that's not a phrase I like to use, but I got bored with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whenever it would go to another character, I, th- I would think, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. And that mm-hmm. was it. As opposed to, oh yeah, let's, oh, I'm so excited that we're finding out what this person's up to now. Yeah. It wasn't that there wasn't like, with the exception of some of the scenes that we were talking about, there isn't a sense of urgency. And when you're bouncing from one group to another, to another, it's gotta be because the, you want to know what's going on with them. Yeah. And you may want to know like, all right, how does this all tie together? Why am I watching these people? Right. These people, like there's a bunch of them. Why am I watching this person specifically as opposed to this other one? Yeah. Like there needs to be that sense of, of constant forward motion and there's that not, these movies have. And this one just doesn't. Yeah. It also doesn't have really the mystery of connection that you were talking about a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, it tells you like, Oh, there's going to be, you know, these people are going to be connected, but from the beginning, it's kind of just obvious that most of them go to the same church and then yeah. some of them are connected through a few other things yeah. that all are, you know, make obvious sense. There's a, there's a few exceptions, but for the most part, they're kind of all connected anyway. So then when they all end up on the bridge together, it seems more like, uh, seems too much of a coincidence right. more than it does. Oh, we've been following these people and now they're all coming together. Yeah. And you know, as much as I am not a fan of God's not dead, I will say that the, the the classroom stuff where though there are a lot of stories and not, and very few of them have to do directly with that where it's the kid versus his professor the fact that okay you've got three lectures to convince the class like there's a maybe not a ticking clock but it's okay there's the next one's coming up so and we know that so there's a it does structure that way. yeah it just it does keep us at least anticipating whereas this we're not anticipating anything no and i feel like you know when you watch something like magnolia or nashville or even crash um it feels like all right we're there there's almost a sense of for lack of a better term inevitability like we're mm-hmm. building to something and i don't know what but none of these people can escape it. Yeah. And there's definitely that in the companion film. Um, though it's, though it's, it seem it's seemingly as random yeah. as the accident, uh, in, do you believe? Uh, and before I move into the companion film, can you think of, of any other, you know, obviously we don't want to harp too long on the negative, especially since, you know, a lot of his big stuff. Like I think they need to make better editing choices. And I think a lot of, honestly, when you, when I think of movies like, Nashville and Magnolia and Crash, I think of music. The music 
can do such a great job of moving us forward. And the music in this is just the standard, I, who cares? Yeah, I feel like the music here was meant to build that sentimentality and that emotion, yeah. those emotional moments that I was talking about. And when there's too much of it, then it seems over the top. Then you yeah. almost start to feel the music sneak in, and it, it almost seems like that uh, stereotypical thing of the... Uh, at the end of the sitcom when there's the tender moments going to come yeah. in and suddenly you hear the music come in, it starts to feel like that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and when I think of, I'll, I'll also bring up the film traffic, which mm-hmm. also has a large ensemble and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, there are certain composers like, you know, listeners go and watch these movies that I'm talking about, especially modern films, mm-hmm. um, watch Magnolia, watch traffic, watch crash and listen to the music, listen to what, the music is making you feel from one scene to the next Mm -hmm. and then watch. Do you believe I'm not saying go and watch. Do you believe, but if you're going to watch it, um, pay attention to what the music isn't doing. It's only, it owned, it only underscores the specific scene. It never like the music can be the thing that ties you to the theme and ties you ties all of these stories together. I don't like the movie, the hours, but the music is used wonderfully in that to tie these stories together. Or like perfect example is, uh, the Amy man stuff in Magnolia. Absolutely. There's a, there's a scene where the music (coughs) is obviously connecting all. Yeah. And so, um, and the same, the same goes with the companion film, which I'll get into now very briefly because my voice is going, (laughs) um, Robert Altman's shortcuts, uh, written by Altman and Frank Underwood Barrett oh. Barheights. Oh, wow. I don't know how you say that. Yeah, I don't it's based on the, the writings of Raymond Carver. So uh, Robert Altman was nominated. The film was nominated for one Oscar for director for Robert Altman um, because he was able to juggle all these characters. And it's just a bunch of people living in Los Angeles whose stories intersect mm-hmm. sometimes with their knowledge, sometimes without, often without. Yeah. Um, but we are able to watch all of them and, and see what's going on. And, uh, I will say, you know, if you're a big fan of, do you believe you probably won't like shortcuts because it is almost a nihilistic film. Like these yeah. are deeply broken people and it's hard to spend time with them. I mean, yeah. I wish there was a lot more shortcuts in, do you believe as far as, I mean, there's not an ounce of sentimentality in shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, uh, as much as I love Nashville and I, and I like shortcuts too, I feel like Nashville and shortcuts are two very similar Altman type of movies, but there's a 20 year difference between them. Mm-hmm. Um, not exactly, but almost. And I feel like you see a guy, a director who maybe has gotten more cynical and more angry as he's gotten older, because I think there's still a sense of hope in Nashville, mm-hmm. whereas shortcuts, there's condemnation, and there's just, it all seems very random mm-hmm. and people just trying to make sense of their relationships, but there's petty jealousies and, and resentment and that sort of thing. So there's, I mean, you know, it certainly is a unifying tone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a, not the most pleasant tone, but it's there. Um, and the acting once again, of course the acting yeah, here yeah, is great. Fantastic. You know, in you've movie. got people like Jack Lemon, Julianne Moore, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Robert Downey Jr., Lily Taylor, Tim, uh, Tim Robbins, uh, my favorite musician, Tom Waits, uh, is in the film. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and that film has the propulsiveness that I'm, that I was talking about. Yeah, and definitely. This, and this is one that even less than do you believe, like, I don't know what links these people. Like, it's not like they're all listening to this. They all listen to the same thing or anything like that. No, they just all happen to be living in Los Angeles 
and just kind of what, what seems to link them is just this idea of randomness that they're just kind of bouncing around trying to find some kind of meaning or some kind of relationship that will work. And then it keeps not working. Yeah. And then it all builds up to an earthquake. It's something that links all of them. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, and that's a really nice moment. And it, it feels a lot like the accident in, do you believe? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's just, uh, yeah, it, I think it's just handled very well. And of course, Robert Altman's one of the best uh, directors of all time. Mm-hmm. And he just knew how to juggle all these characters, keep their stories interesting, keep them specific, and keep us wanting more without, I mean, he doesn't, like, the script doesn't over-explain anything. But you do mm-hmm. have characters who sometimes have long monologues. Yeah. You have emotional outbursts. You have all this stuff. But it never seems... It certainly never has that sentimentality that you're talking about. No, I don't think so. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, <laughs> darkness to it, and that's yeah. a lot of that comes comes from the, you know, from Raymond Carver's writing, and that's right. that's one other good thing about it is a lot of these characters are already created by, yeah, you know, one of the greatest short story writers of the 20th century. So yeah. uh, there there's a lot going on with these characters. There's a lot of uh, a lot that the actors have to pick from, even if even if there's not a whole lot in uh, say the script, yeah. you, you've got stories to go back to that go into the depth of what this character is feeling right. and, and, and all those sort of things. So there's a lot, these are very profound characters. Yeah. Um, what's interesting actually is as I look at my DVD shelf, shortcuts is basically right in front of me, really? like at exactly eye level directly in front of me. <laughs> um, it's very strange. Um, and I, and as we talk about it, I find myself actually wanting to watch it again. It's been some time since I've seen it, but, <clears throat> um, and while it's a film that I, I don't feel the urge to return to very often because it is, there is that cynicism there. And I, I walk away from it often feeling kind of bad. Mm-hmm. I at least feel like I'm engaging with these characters and that they're engaging with each other for good or ill. Um, and that's not that, a, uh, that's not a sense that I got from, do you believe? And I, and, but I do mm-hmm. feel like, you know, if somebody was going to make a movie like this and it would appear that this is the type of movie that, uh, that these writers are interested in writing, I feel like they need to watch movies like Shortcuts and Magnolia and Crash and Nashville and probably any number in traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, we had talked earlier about some, um, uh, in your, in your two stuff, yeah. Morris Peros or, yeah. or 21 grams. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or Babel, which I'm not a big fan of, but it, it very very similar to this kind of thing. Um, like, you know, this is the large ensemble film is not an easy film to make. No, um, it seems like it would be, but if you watch a movie like Bobby, did you ever see Bobby? Yes, not bad. Some of the stories are better than others, but like the good ones are the ones where every story. You might not feel invested in every story, but every story is equally interesting. Yeah. And, and it all somehow, and every story feels like it, it contributes something to the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you and I definitely don't feel like that with, do you believe there are Mm -hmm. stories or characters that could have been cut or significantly changed to the point that they'd be totally different than they are now. Yeah. I think when we were talking afterwards, we were saying one of the ways (laughs) we think the film could be better is if they were to sort of lessen the sentimentality overall, overall, uh, make the Christianity less something that's in your face the whole time and cut out maybe half of the stories. Yeah. And then you have more time to slowly develop those characters to slowly have pieces of the, uh, of the Christian message come to the, to those people and then have the, uh, 
the emotional resonance of, resonance of it really hit at the yeah. end. And you know, it's interesting that you're saying like you have time to slowly develop these things. And I don't think what you mean is actual slow, like <clears throat> an actual slowness of pace mm. is more just that you have more you time, have the time to develop. To, right. It's worth noting that shortcuts, it has a bunch of characters but it's also like two and a half hours long. Right. Like they understand that if we're going to have this many characters and we're going to have, you know, we're going to move at this type of pace. Yeah. We need enough time. Traditionally, these types of movies are pretty long. I mean, yes. Uh, Magnolia is over three hours, isn't it? Or the, uh, the longer cut, I think is like three fourteen. but I don't remember exactly, but yes, it's, it's very a long, long film. Um, you know, Nash- how long is Nashville? Nashville is like two forty. Okay. Um, yeah. Crash, I guess is about, I think that's over too. I don't remember exactly, but also you and I aren't a big fan, aren't big fans of crash. So, right, yeah. And, um, and one of the reasons we're not is because there's not a lot of subtlety to that film. Right. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I will say that to, to wrap up, do you believe is, uh, a, a step forward in a lot of ways, but when it comes right down to it, the writing is what needs to change. Hmm. Don't get me wrong. Like, you could have a great script that's poorly directed and poorly acted and, and that, and it won't register it as a great script. Yeah. But all the great acting in the world can't elevate a bad script to being great. Mm-hmm. It can elevate a bad script to being passable at best. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, so yeah, I would just say, um, I, I don't think I would recommend the movie, but, uh, but I think it's making, there are some steps in the right direction. And so, uh, so yeah, I think we'll leave it at that. I, I wound up having a much more positive, uh, reaction to it. That's not to say that I had a positive reaction. I just mm-hmm. had more of one. Yeah. And so, um, I feel cautiously encouraged, um, that maybe the writers themselves, cause there are certain script issues that are better yeah and god's not dead it's still not a good script but there are script issues that are better the filmmaking is better the acting is better to repeat myself over and over so maybe the next one will be even better maybe the one after that will be even better who's to say um but yeah um i think that is where we'll leave it because my phone my my voice is almost gone (laughs) um and so i won't even wrap up with all the usual stuff (laughs) goodbye i will just say uh thank you everybody for listening josh thank you for being here you're welcome and we'll get you next time